Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. Today, I'm talking to Becca Harvey. Becca is an outdoor swim guide based in the Northeast. She started swimming outdoors one January when she saw a documentary on people using cold water to treat depression. At the time, she was dealing with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and had not found any conventional treatments effective for her. She was desperate to try anything. Getting in the cold water was the one thing that helped her and both changed and saved her life. Becca features in the film The Eye Smile, which is recently available to purchase on Vimeo, with a portion of the proceeds going towards the charity Beach Access Northeast. I'll put a link to the film in the show notes. The film, directed and shot by filmmaker Rachel Sarah, follows Becca's journey as she trains for her ice mile. An ice mile is a challenge to swim a mile in water five degrees or cooler with just a swimsuit, hat and goggles. It's something only a few hundred people have ever done. Even fewer people have joined Becca in completing an extreme ice mile, which means being in the water longer than 45 minutes to complete the swim. The film is beautifully shot and tells the journey of training and completing in such an extreme event, as well as touching on some of the difficulties Becca has faced in her life. I've been following Becca for a while, inspired by her openness around talking about mental health and her advocacy for cold water. So I knew I had to get her on the podcast to talk about resilience. Welcome, Becca. Hiya. <laughs> that bio was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I surprised you with that because you hadn't seen any of it. <laughs> no. And we were just saying that I was going to put in other careers there, but you seem to have had too many too varied and I couldn't really find an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely best to just keep it short. That, that that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and was I accurate in saying that you think it saved your life? I feel like that's what I've got from all your um, as, as in the cold water saved your life. Oh yeah, I think so. I think uh, it's one of those things that you think. Well, if I hadn't gone down that path, what would it have been mm. instead instead of that? Um, and I just can't think of anything else that has the same kind of feel to it. The same. I don't know, it's expanded my horizons so much as cheesy as as cheesy as it is to say. Mm. I, I think, yeah, you think you nailed it. It absolutely saved my life. And But whenever I talk about things like this, I always think that even though it did, it did help me on that and it did um, aid my life in some way, it also pushed me into the areas of uncomfortable and more of it was finding the comfortable in the uncomfortable. So for me, I was able to go and do really hard therapy that I was putting off. I was able to kind of talk to friends more. And I mean, it's quite interesting. You talk about how open I am at the start of all of this. I was just like, Oh, I just couldn't, I couldn't describe how I was feeling. I couldn't, I don't know. I couldn't even deal with having a conversation with one person I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's completely pulled me out of my comfort zone and given me strengths I didn't know I had really. Oh, that's fascinating. And I'm so glad that you found something. Um, just kind of, first of all, getting back into resilience, like I see you as such a resilient person for everything that you've gone through and you're still showing up. Um, do you see yourself as a resilient person and kind of what does resilience mean to you? So I was thinking about this because you'd, you'd asked me previous, you'd said, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to ask, but resilient. Can you just think about resilience? Um, and I think, yeah, I am a resilient person. But because when, whenever people talk about those kind of words to describe you, resilient is one of the things I'd probably use as well as tenacious. Um, and But the only thing is, with resilience I think for me it has a tone of the uncomfortable because no one ever chooses to be resilient you're kind of made to be resilient um so I think it has the same connotations as brave it's like I don't have a choice I'm just that's what I've had to be to survive mm. uh, so that's kind of my view on resilience as well and I but then I guess the kind of cold water and in a sense running you can choose to put yourself in those uncomfortable and difficult yeah. things. Do you think that really helps us 
than to face the things that we haven't chosen. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if it wasn't for the cold water, I'd never kind of really appreciate that statement, that kind of that finding the uncomfortable in the uncomfortable, that kind of. So for me, getting into cold water, that first time I submerged, you're completely out of your comfort zone. You have no idea what's happening. Your whole body hurts. You can't think of anything else. And it's that moment that if if you're listening and you're a cold water swimmer that you'll know that it's you just can't think of anything else and your body goes into complete survival mode. And then it's not until you get out and you're on the side and you're shivering with all your mates and a cup of tea that you think, oh, I can do hard things. Mm. So it's like when you do that and you do that over and over and over again, like you do with swimming, when it comes to hard situations in life, it's hard to remember, but it gives you that knowledge that, oh, I've done those hard things and I can get through them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a really great tool. Um, a lot of people talk about cold water being like the cure for mental health. It's not the cure. It's a tool. It's a really powerful tool that you can harness to help you get all the different elements that you need across life. Whether you're going through a hard breakup, whether you're, you know, you've got PTSD like me, whether it's grief, whether it's stress, whether it's a hard day at work, all those things are quantifiable when you've got it against something like cold water. Mm. And just going back to, I said that you were at the time of going into the cold water were dealing with a diagnosis of complex PTSD. Um, I mean, you don't have to talk about that if you don't want to, but it felt from from things that you shared in the past that this came on after a very sudden incident and I was just wondering kind of what were you like before was there a what was what was Becca like when Uh um, (laughs) before that accident well before the accident I was always quite bolshy I was always quite uh, I was always quite a big personality uh, kind of thought I knew my own mind um, but hadn't really, ex- not to my knowledge, I hadn't really experienced any mental health problems. Um, and then I had a car accident in 2014. Um, and then, yeah, just everything changed. Uh, my whole persona changed. I was kind of scared of everything because my therapists always de- described it as if you have an event like that, you know, something that triggers something in you, it's almost like, You've got um, a shelf full of boxes and that represents your brain. And when you have a sudden event that's traumatic, it's almost like someone pushes your wall and all of those boxes fall off. And then you're trying to scramble to put them back on the shelves and you're not really sure where to put them. And for me, it was like I was having to take each one of those boxes off the floor, try and organize them and put them back on. And my brain was just terrified of everything. So I was trying to... I mean, I was having multiple panic attacks a day. I couldn't really operate. I was very, I don't know, apprehensive and quite scared of just new things, new people. Um, So before I found the water, that's kind of where I was at. I was just, I'd, I'd tried to do so many different things and it just wasn't, wasn't working, wasn't helping. Um, But the cold water kind of gave me, that feeling that I could do things again. So it was just building up those little confidence um, little bits to start me rebuilding my personality and the way I was. And yeah, it was, I was a completely different person. Like I came, I remember coming home because I had my car accident in Slovenia and yeah, way back when. And then when I came home, I remember my mum picking me up from the train station because I couldn't fly because I had a head injury. And she just was like, you're a completely different person. <laughs> just, I was terrified of them. I was terrified of my parents. Couldn't get outside my house. So I can't even explain really how much the water's given me because it's just really not, it, it's not quantifiable in my brain because yeah. it was just, I'd had diagnosis. I was in and out of doctors and surgeons and neurosurgeons, all this sort of stuff. And you think, if it wasn't for that, for the water or just that natural space that kind of took me out of that element of you're ill. And like, I was having people tell me, you know, you need to grieve the person you used to be because you'll never be that person again. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm very stubborn. I'm going to just keep pushing until something clicks. 
But yeah, I was a completely different person before the water. And then just talking about that moment when you decided to try the cold water, <clears throat> was that a decision you made on your own? Had you seen anybody else getting cold water? Because I know that your mum like, is on the film and it looked like she was a swimmer. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, was that a decision that you made independently? Oh, yeah. I'd Because uh, I just by chance was watching this documentary on the BBC about um, this doctor who was going to visit various people who had depression or anxiety um, and they were coming off, they were trying to come off medication and they were trying it in very different ways. And one of them was submerging in water and I'd only seen it on, on there. And then coincidentally at the same time um, on BBC one, they had those adverts that were showing local communities in your area. And one of them was the Clevedon swimmers, which was where I used to live. And, uh, under the Clevedon Pier and I was like oh yeah there's cold water swimmers near me okay maybe I should try that so I looked them up on Facebook found somebody found a life well she's a she's a life coach um and she was able to coach me into what my expectations were going to be getting in the water and then she was also swimming with me during that time as well but when it came when it came down to it it was kind of me and I was in complete survival mode of like I could not cope. So what can I do to change that? Yeah. When people talk about rock bottom, do you feel like that's where you were at that point? I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, for me, I, <laughs> I always think I'm at rock bottom and then something else happens. <laughs> so, oh, I, I was mean, going to talk about your mantra from swimming, which is it can't get any worse, but sometimes does it? <laughs> yeah. It can't get any worse when it comes to cold water cold. Oh, okay. That's... <laughs> Purely limited to the cold water. Okay, I'll... Um... It is only in the cold water. I won't get that oh. tattooed then. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like... Because um, for me, like, my, like a lot of my complex PTSD comes from a variety of different things. But you think, oh, yeah, well, no, but I'm dealing with one traumatic event, which was my car accident. And then it... Well, I can't remember how many years later. It must have been like two years later, whatever it was. And then I was involved in a terrorist attack in Barcelona. So it was like... You think you've just had one traumatic event, then you have another, and then you have another. So you've always got to just be, I don't know, I think I've been close to rock bottom a few times, but just, I'd say, disgustingly low probably <laughs> describes it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And tell me a little bit about the effect once you've got in that cold water. Did you, did something hit you instantly? Did you have, did you hate it and then have to keep going back? How was it? So for me, I did the complete opposite thing of what anybody ever tells you to do is I got in in January in four degrees. It was absolutely Baltic. Uh, And for me, part of the reason that I was going to the water as part of my PTSD, my symptoms was that I was getting phantom pain all over my arms, just getting it over my stomach. um, And I was just like, when it's phantom pain there's like nothing really for it you you can do it's just kind of there and I had it constantly but then when I first submerged and I got into the water it's it was the only place I ever I just instantly cried I was just like I it's the first place I didn't feel pain and then that was just there was like a switch in here like I'm supposed to be here now and then it was like oh how much colder can I get oh can I stay in for longer and then it just became this safe space for me that I created. So completely addicted from the moment I got in, because when you when you're feeling pain all the time, being submerged and having a pain free place, you think actually I'm a, I'm an advantage to other people. Yeah, yeah, and at that for, like I used cold water swimming when I had chronic fatigue syndrome and I had a lot of brain fog and joint pain and a lot of other symptoms and it was for me somewhere that I got relief but it was also something that wasn't long lasting like sometimes I was back at the car and it was all back on like how did you feel when you got out of the water and went to the bank oh I mean elated usually Mm. and it oh excuse me it was all yeah it was it was almost like you're washing it off Mm. And then you'd come out, you'd shiver on the side for a bit. Uh, and then afterwards was tough because it was the warm ups that I used to just would drain me of energy. Even if I was in for a short time, I wouldn't really be able to do anything for the rest of the day in the early days. Um, 
but yeah, just, oh. and the thing is, that's the thing that you keep chasing. It's all, it's like cold water is like a drug. It's like you get in for the first time and you think, oh my God, this is amazing. I need to keep getting in. It's going to be the same buzz for everything that I do from here on out. But it's not. And I think a, a lot of what isn't spoken about in cold water is like, oh, yeah, this is great for mental health and it's great. What happens when it warms up? Mm. What happens in the spring when you start getting those temperatures above 10 and you're not getting the same cold water buzz? Because that is when I like everyone talks about the winter blues and how everybody gets a bit depressed afterwards. When this when the water warms up, that oh, God, it's for me, it's the hardest time uh, that I remember that first winter. And then losing effectively your therapy, your therapy, your th- like, well, what, what do I do now? Um, and it's really quite debilitating in that. Um, but yeah, just just something that I think should be talked about more that they're that especially with these people who have these kind of um, these different mental health struggles, they need to be warned, warmed of um, when everything warms up. Because you think, oh, goodness, as soon as you lose that, almost like a lifeline, Mm. it can be really destructive. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking about that the other day in the sense that if you're running or other forms of exercise, the gym, they're there all year round and don't really change. But the water does, doesn't it? I suppose unless you're switching to cold showers or bins in your garden or whatever people had to do in lockdown. and but. Yeah, not everybody has the facilities to do do it in their own garden. But it's it's different as well. Like it's mm. like I've got I've got a cold tub in my back garden, but I wouldn't say you get the same enjoyment or the same reset from sitting in a back lane in Sunderland than you do like going to the beach or mm. going to the lake. Um you can kind of get some elements and cold water cold water showers, I don't know how anybody does them. I'm someone who I quite like, you know four degree water outside that's great you put me under a six degree shower I'm gonna be screaming I absolutely <laughs> hate it. don't know whether it's just uh whether it's psychological or what it is I just feel no 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 I'm just cancelling them on mine <laughs> <laughs> so you felt the benefits of the cold water um and how did it then progress to the ice mile <laughs> Kath Pendleton, she is, um, yeah, it's all her fault. Uh, I originally, when I first first started swimming outside in Clevedon, there's a big community down there, and I'd kind of heard whispers about it, about this, all oh, this ice smile, and, oh, do you want to go any further, and there might be events that you can do. And I was like, okay, well, ice smile, that sounds great. I'll put that in the five-year plan. Because I thought, oh, yeah, well, I want to build up to it because it's quite extreme. And then I think it was the end of my second season because at this point I'd moved to Wales, met a lovely friend of mine called Kerry on a beach in Wales. She introduced me to Kath Pendleton, who is the Murphy Mermaid uh, from that BBC documentary. Yeah, I wonder if it's still on iPlayer. I've seen it. I think so. It's a great documentary little 30 minute film back calf but it's I was swimming with her one day and we were me Kerry and calf were shivering in McDonald's in Barry and we were all just oh we've been faffing about in the water for a long time one February and calf basically turned to me she went right then so I smile next year I was thinking what no she was like yeah you could do it next year if you wanted I was like I don't know. I've, uh, I'm still quite new to it. She's like, nah, you could do it. So then after that, the rest was history. I booked my ice mile with Kerry for that next year uh, and then just started training with Kath. And that was it. It's her fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's not where you did the ice mile in the film. Is it? <laughs> like... Oh, no, no, that's not why I did the ice mile. So, ba- so basically the reason I wanted to do it, it wasn't because, I mean, Kath pushed me into it. But at the same time, prior to that, my I was just completely broken. If I was outside of the water, if I was out of the water, everything else I was still finding really hard. Like I was swimming kind of three or four times a week, but I still wasn't really working. I wasn't kind of, yeah, it was a tricky time in my life. I was still struggling with 
friendships and people and not being able to do a lot. But the water was somewhere where I was like, actually, I can do something. So maybe I can turn this into a way of training my brain into other things. Um, Because I really did think I was broken because when you have so many therapists and people telling you that you don't know how long your recovery is going to be, you might not regain, you know, your personality traits that you had before. You think, oh, well, I've got to do something. And that was how I was able to get goals. I was able to get goals in the water um, because I was pushing for distances. And then once I'd pushed for my distance, because I'd all done it through events, there was a really great um, little local event down south that used to be run by um, a lake called Lake 32. And they used to do chili dippers. Oh, my goodness, it's amazing. And you used to they do three or four a season. And you'd had to do the, the distance before to be able to qualify for the next one. So that was how I was kind of upping my distance. Um, and to even just to accomplish something, I mean, it's the same with any sport, isn't it? What, with running or you get that like 5K medal or you get that, you know, oh, I've done 500 metres mm. in car water. It's that sense of achievement that I wasn't getting from anywhere else. So that's kind of where the ice mile was born out of really, trying to give myself a bit of purpose without not being, without, being able to do anything else because at that stage when I was kind of was getting into the water I was still at that level of we well, can't really do much because you've still got a head injury so you need to just take your time some things are still going to be difficult um so yeah that's kind of where it came from really and then it seemed like quite a long journey, not through your fault, but kind of with circumstances and lockdowns and things getting cancelled for your eye smile. And one thing that I wondered when I was watching the film was something that I see particularly, going, just going back to running because that's what I know, is like people start running, they feel amazing, they love it, then they start doing events, they start pushing themselves. And then somewhere along the line, they start putting pressure on themselves and comparing themselves and stressing and lose the enjoyment and I wondered if at any point that happened to you as you went on that journey from just getting in the cold water to the ice mile oh oh, yeah absolutely probably probably three years in I was kind of I think at the end of that so basically what happened was my first ice mile was booked for the January of 2020 uh and I'd been training for it all of that season and what I was also doing was kind of doing distances at different degrees as part of an ice mile training program um I can't remember the exact but it's it's something like if it was eight degrees you'd be doing something like 1200 meters all this sort of stuff so whenever I get to the lake it wouldn't be like check my surroundings how's everybody doing it would be right take the temperature what's temperature okay so it's this temperature I have to do this amount of distance and it was that kind of it because it was also my reset then changing it into event and training something just completely changed in my brain even though I was going after achievement if you go after achievement you lose that kind of solace element to it I was fine and I also for my ice mile learned front crawl I did it years and years ago but I was a head up breaststroker before um but I wanted to be quicker funnily enough (laughs) so I learned front crawl thinking that that would help um so it's a different stroke it's a different technique and I was yeah I was just it's a completely different head head headspace that you're in when you're training rather than getting in for your mental health um and for me in this lot in the last year when the film was made I was really questioning why I was still doing it And I was really, I was at a loss, really. The only reason I was doing it is because I felt like I'd put so much into it that I just, if I'd given up now, it would all be for nothing because I'd put everything into it. When, like, I mean, I used to have phone calls with Kath in Wales when I was living there pre-lockdown and she'd ring me at like seven o'clock in the morning and say, oh, yes, it's sub five at Keepers today. We need to get up there. Okay. I need to call work, so I call work, then get the morning off, then be able to go and do it, come back, sit in my dry room, dry road, do the rest of my work. And you think, oh, goodness, it's just, 
it gets to that point where you do question your sanity and go, wouldn't it be easier if you liked running or you liked doing this, this and this? But my sole focus, I don't I, like my sole focus was the ice mile. And I think if I didn't have it, I think I'd feel a bit lost. Mm. So I think that's kind of why I just kept going. I'm stubborn. It was just like, right, we're just going to keep going and it will happen eventually. Did you have any doubts as to whether you could do it or not? And how did you get over any doubts? Oh, absolutely. I'd have doubts probably every week. Going, what? I can't do this. I And the thing is, as soon as you let that little bit of doubt creep in, you've pretty much lost it anyway. And in my first, in my first year of training uh, for the Ice Mile, I didn't really have a coach. I had friends. I was kind of like, you know, talking to them about it and they'd be like yeah come on you'll be fine like it's you know we all have those days and then in the part in the year that I actually completed my ice mile because I changed locations I'd moved up north so now I live in Sunderland in the northeast and get to train with an incredible man called Fennec Ridley if I didn't have a coach like him I don't think I would have been able to complete it because yes you put in the training and you do that, but you need to have somebody in your arsenal that will be able to go, oh, I've done that before. And this, this and this is what I did to kind of conquer that. And he, and as you said earlier, like, you know, that it, do, it doesn't get any worse. So <laughs> that was his going. mantra, wasn't it? Yeah. But oh, now yeah. I know that this is only for cold water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for, not for ultra running. Or anything like but um, yeah, it's just... How do I go about it? It's like so many parts of it are damaging as well because you'll just be like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. Because you can, every time we come to the side of a body of water, we never bring the same body. You will have different levels of hydration, of fuel, of sleep, stress, all sorts. So you could get to the side of a body of water, get in and it will be two degrees and be like, right, that's me. I've done two minutes. I'm out. I can't do any more. The pain's too much. And then a week later, you can do a kilometre and go, oh, okay. I don't know how that happened, but okay, you just have to deal with it. And there was this element, there was this stage in that final year of training for it that I kind of realised if you don't stop and just take stock and try and release that pressure, you're not going to enjoy any of it. I watched an incredible documentary. Well, I say incredible documentary. It was probably just incredible because of where my mindset was. I was So I was watching this Sean White documentary and it was talking about how you need to release that pressure on yourself. Because if you don't, then what's the point? It's in this documentary, effectively, he was putting so much pressure on himself. He was unable to put a score down. And he was thinking, this is my retirement run. This is the last time I'm going to run at the Olympics. So let's just enjoy it. And then he and then he won and then he won a medal, I think. He did, he did end up placing. And it was just like just because I took that pressure off, and just because he enjoyed every turn and everything that went along with it, that's how he feels he got into that mindset. And I think that's very similar to how swimming is. We're so caught up in how long we need to be in the water or what we need to do and what we need to achieve that we miss out on the journey itself. So many of my friends who've done ice miles have told me that by the time you get to the side of the water for that ice mile attempt, you've kind of already done it. You're not going to learn anything new from that swim, even though that's like the swim you've been putting all the pressure on. It's all the journey beforehand. And if you don't enjoy it, then it's really, there's just no point. Mm. And in that, I think it must have been, it was in that last winter that I took on a challenge to accompany the Ice Mile, which was to every month to have at least two swims that I enjoyed that weren't for anybody else. They were for me. And that helped incredibly because as soon as you start going, oh yeah, that's why I'm doing it. Because I wrote, oh God, the last kind of month or so, I was just like, I'm done with it. I can't do this anymore. Me and Rachel were just like, I did, Rachel was like, well, we'll try again next year. And I think, I don't think I've got another year in me. I can't do this anymore. I need to just recalibrate. Just because of the commitment in terms of the time and energy. The commitment, time and energy is like, 
because everyone goes, oh, yeah, you could do an ice mile. You think, yeah, it's just a distance, mm. climatise a bit. But actually, it's having the time to get in three or four times a week, being able to think. But it's not just the swim. It's also you've got to allow for the time to warm up and then to get to where you need to go. And uh, and then having to be on call for your venue, regardless of where you are, to be like, oh, we've got the temperature now. You can come and you can come and try. You think you can't live like that. You're putting everything on hold and <laughs> until this ice smile attempt happens. So yeah, it was yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> so you mentioned Rachel there, and I'm guessing that you mean Rachel Sarah, who's the filmmaker yeah. for the Ice Mile. Yeah. Like, how did the film come about? So <laughs> poor, poor Rachel. Uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I got in contact with her because I would. I mean, this was goodness. When did we first start talking? It must have been 2020. And I saw um, one of her short films as part of a virtual film festival. I was like, I loved it. It's called Drifting, if anyone wants to watch it. I think it's on YouTube. About a lovely lady called B and her paddleboard and how she was making sourdough in lockdown and then going for a paddle on, on her local canal, I think it was. And I just loved it. I loved the vision of it. I loved uh, the kind of cinematography elements to it. I thought, oh, I'd really like to make a film with her. So I just contacted her and started chatting. What got lost in translation is I wanted to help create the film. Oh, I, right. didn't want, I didn't want to be in the film. So one of your previous careers that I saw was something in kind of TV production. Yeah. So I used to be an assistant producer in TV production. Um, I did that for God, five or six years. Okay. Because I was kind of thinking, this seems really out of character that you're like, make a film about me. <laughs> we've just said you're at a really low point and things so. yeah okay that makes more sense <laughs> yeah so basically during the process of this of the ice mile film I ended my career in tv I must have been about halfway because I well I say ended I mean I always get pulled back Pause. but <laughs> it's just always the case um but yeah that's why I first got in contact with Rachel because I was like oh we've got a real opportunity here because everything's closed off mm. in 2020 and none of the channels are listening to me or none of, you know, my contacts are listening to me about, you know, once we reopen um, after COVID and everybody can start swimming together, oh, to capture that on film would be really quite dynamic, I think. And if we did it over a long period of time, maybe follow a training arc or something along these lines. And me and Rachel had had a couple of Zoom calls um and yeah we were just like okay well we'll meet up in the lake district uh when things are a little bit easier to do so um and we did that and we met up and I was like okay let's talk and she was like no 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 I've got a camera you sit down and I was thinking me sit down why am I sitting <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, oh you think I was talking about me oh no <laughs> And did you take a bit of persuading? Did you kind of start it, go along with it and think, oh, well, this won't happen? Or The thing is, I was just like, meh. I didn't even mention it. And it was like I was being filmed, had that done. And it Rachel didn't find out until just before the Kendall screening, I think, since we till we premiered it, till she finished it. And then I was like, you did realise that I wanted to make this. I didn't want to be in this film. Um, which she found hilarious. That is hilarious, but I'm so glad that she completely misunderstood you and made <laughs> turn the camera on you. Like, how was it being filmed? I'm, it sounds like you've kind of been behind the camera in production. Like, were you well, self-conscious? I, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I first, I firstly wanted to send a, a like just a, a net wide apology to everybody who I ever said, just be yourself, you'll be fine. <laughs> not the case not the case at all you think oh my goodness it did take it took me a while but it was really strange because Rachel was there for pretty much an, an entire year of my life like whenever I had something on or anything on I just had Rachel following me around and she did become background she did become background noise it was kind of like okay cool and you kind of get it you do get into it but the first Oh, God, the first, like, three or four shoots we did, I was just a nervous wreck. It took me ages to kind of, like, 
I was so worried the days leading up to it. And then because you just kind of, I don't know, you're just laying it all bare like you've never done before. And you don't have, and also because me and Rachel, it was it was a passion project. We kind of knew it was always going to be a passion project. We'd approached brands, but no one was really biting. So because it kind of turned into such a passion project, it was kind of like, well, Rachel, I want you to film things that you want. I want you to create a film that you want to create and that you're proud of. So if it comes to me being self-conscious, that doesn't really fit into the equation. You film what you want, you put what you want, do what you want. Um, And then she made this incredible time capsule for me to watch, like, yeah, years on from now about that horrific year. (laughs) For everybody to watch. Thank you so much to both of you for sharing it. And um, like your family and your coach and I think some of your friends are in the film as well like was it something that was new to them in terms of seeing you vulnerable or were they all people that had been in your support for quite a long time and you felt comfortable with that I think I described the film as like regurgitating my guts every time somebody new watches it because it's like I think with friends and family you're kind of like, nah, well, they know all this. It's more the new people that don't really know me or have never spoken to me or follow me on Instagram or whatever. And then I'll get like a lovely message from somebody. And at, at times it's just so overwhelming that you think, oh, I don't know you, but you pretty much know my life story. Mm-hmm. And that that was more where I found the difficulty or find the difficulty, I should say. Mm of being vulnerable with people I have no idea or like there's people that I have no idea or will have no contact in at all. They've just watched it and then that's it. Um, So it's a very strange feeling really. Yes. It's very one way, isn't it? That I suppose it's the same with kind of maybe a book as well. Just that here's everything about my life, but I don't get anything back about yours. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's also, I think that's also part of it. Um, When Pete's, because I'm sure you get it as well especially on social media people reach out to you and then they'll tell you like their innermost darkest secrets sometimes or will spill their guts and then be like oh well I've, I've seen you've got PTSD so here's mine mm. and then it's like oh wow and then you think oh how have you done that how have you shared that's like that must be so hard for you but at the same time you think oh no they've watched the film and then now think that they know me so ascending this kind of as a relinquishing kind of, I don't know, friendship kind of vibe. Um, so that's another thing that's been really interesting post-film. Uh, I've had a lot of, if it was, if I don't think if it was, it may have happened naturally anyway, but due to the kind of the course of the film, I've been much more open about talking about my complex PTSD. I've never really known anybody else in my own, like friend group, family group, who kind of experienced it. And now I've got, I think two or three people now I talk to on Instagram who have also got CPTSD from various different things. And you think if it wasn't for that time in my life or if it wasn't for the film, I don't know whether I would have ever met them. So that's really nice too. Yeah. And I just had one more question really regarding the film, which I recommend everybody watches it. But I liked how the film was set in chapters and it just felt like, that kind of followed you through the year as well. Did you feel those chapters? Did they kind of, these, the highs and the lows really, wasn't it, as you went through that year? Yeah, I mean, that year is a complete blur. I think I didn't, I wasn't aware of the chapters as they were being done. It wasn't until I watched the film. But it is, when I watch it back, I think, I do far too much. (laughs) It was very much like, visual therapy um especially when I talk about um living in the lakes working in Newcastle but also living in Sunderland yeah and I was like ah Becca 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 that's not (laughs) there was just scenes of you with bags everywhere (laughs) yeah bags everywhere oh I haven't got what I need I don't know which house it's in (laughs) yep oh dear um so yeah that was very um confronting I should say but yeah especially when when you watch it back 
you definitely see the highs and the lows of where Mm. my mind was so yeah as I say it was like visual therapy I suppose and then there was the high of completing the ice melt I don't think that's a spoiler (laughs) sorry if it was I'd already put that in the introduction. But yeah, congratulations with that. I mean, I was really, it was beautiful some of the ways that you got through that swim. Like, I felt really emotional when you were talking about your grandmother's warm hands and kind of bringing up these memories. Was that something that you had done in training or was that new and just came to you as you were swimming? So I was really struggling in those kind of last few months. So the start of, oh goodness, when did I complete it? 2022? But the start of that year, I was just complete. uh, Yeah, I keep saying broken, but I was. There was just so many elements I was finding really hard. uh, And then my grandma died. And this again is when you kind of turn to the people that you're closest with. And there's been all these... um, there'd been all these studies about how our emotions have an effect on our body temperature. And when we think of when we're in love, when they've basically put people through uh, MRI, MRI and scans um, to show what people's body temperatures doing with those lovely heat thermal maps. And they showed somebody in love and they were all kind of all lovely and red. And then somebody who's depressed or grieving or anything was just blue. So it was trying to, take that information and try and make it into something that we could think about to help me with my body temperature and trying to help my mental state. Uh, and it was Fennec really. We got into the water kind of the day after my grandma died and he, he was also close with his kind of matriarchal figures and his family. So we had this lovely swim where we were just both in together. He told me not to, not to think about how far we needed to go. We just need to get in and have a bit of fun, splash around. I don't think we did any swimming. I think we were just in for kind of some static cooling, we like to call it. Just literally sat and just taking it all in. And then as we were doing that, we had a double rainbow go over the top of us. And it was just like, oh, my goodness. Okay, this is cool. And it was this feeling that just talking about our grandmas and talking about that in the water was a real like healing and quite, I don't know, lethargic kind of um, routine to go through. So when it came to the ice mile and I was starting to feel a bit chilly, that was exactly what I was going to think about. It was all those really lovely memories of what we do or what, you know. And I think that's also down to grieving in general. Like so many people find grieving hard. And for me, I've had a lot of grief in my life. So, and I've never, I don't think I've ever really properly processed it. So when my grandma died, it was this element of, oh, okay, we can turn it into some sort of this lovely ritual and celebrate them and talk about our feelings. And it was like having a water wake. So it was just after that, really. And then it became, you process those things and then you're smiling during talking about it and you think about how your body's changing and hopefully that's aiding your temperature and aiding you in some way. Um, but for me, that's how how we kind of came to that. Um, and I was thinking about my granddad at the same time, as well as my uncle, because my uncle had also died in the in the July of that year too. So it was just bombarding myself with all these different memories to try and keep me warm, really. Mm. And what other were there any other tactics that you use when you're in the water, or just kind of to get you through those difficult, painful <laughs> times in the water? Um, for me. I, like as I said before, it's like I feel like I've, I'm I'm at an advantage because I've got pain all the time. So when I'm in the water and I feel pain, I have this ability to be able to put it to the back of my head and just think about anything else. Um, just don't think about pain because the pain's not going to get any worse. Um, when I was when I was in the water. But especially for an ice mile, it's very different when you're actually doing an attempt because everything you've ever been taught about swimming, cold water swimming, whatever you're doing, is you're going to get into the water and you're going to think about how you're feeling and think about if you're getting too cold. Whereas with that type of with an ice mile attempt, you basically handed that all over to the crew around you. 
They're the ones in charge of whether my stroke rate's dropping, whether I'm looking okay, am I responding? They're the ones that are completely in charge of my safety. So for me, the only thing I'm supposed to be doing is to distracting myself from everything I've been taught um, and not thinking about it. So I'd either be thinking about my my grandma and my uncle or it was just thinking about my partner Michael as well because in the long and short of it if I hadn't gone after the ice mar I wouldn't have met my partner because we met at the world championships in 2020 and I wouldn't have been competing at, at events because I was competing in at events to help my stroke and to improve my speed and if I wasn't doing that, then I'd probably just still be breaststroking in Cleveland Marine Lake on my own. And never having met Michael. Never having met <laughs> Michael. So that that's kind of I just like distracting silly things that I'd go to of like the really that one of the things that really makes me laugh with him is uh when he pays the mortgage every month, he has to ring up and he's from Sunderland, so he's got quite a thick Sunderland accent. And the automated system doesn't um doesn't recognise his voice. <laughs> He has to do it a few times. It's the only time you'll see him kind of almost raise his voice and he gets quite agitated and it always makes me laugh. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking about. And then <laughs> it was just like, oh, that's great. That's great. He's going one leg at a time. Uh, and how was life kind of immediately after the ice smile? Um, like you hadn't told a lot of, because it was quite a last minute. <laughs> you had to be up there. It's not like all your friends knew, but um yeah what was that reaction like once you've done it I didn't really have time because I think you put so much pressure on it when you complete it I think all I felt was relief I felt relief that it was over and then I was thinking okay I didn't really have much time to I recovered sat at the side of the lake um, or lock, sorry, I should say, because I did it in Scotland. Um, and watched the sunset because I was there all day warming up and then watched the sunset with Rachel and uh, my friend Alice. And it was a really lovely day and it was all kind of encompassed into that. But it was all just talking nonsense at the side of the lock after. There was no kind of, I rang a few friends and made sure everybody knew I was safe. It was also really funny because... I was also relishing in the fact that my partner, Michael, he's an ultra runner. And usually it's me really worrying about him, but he hadn't heard from me. And it, this must have been like four o'clock in the afternoon. I'd done my eye smart half 10 in the morning. He still hadn't heard anything. And he'd started ringing my friends. <laughs> and then I eventually rang him back. So I'm really sorry. I've just been in amongst it and like, you know, <laughs> trying to process things. He's like, yeah, but I didn't know what you were doing or where you were. And I was like, hmm, sound familiar? <laughs> This is exactly what I have to go to through for five days. Um, but yeah, it was really, It's I can't really describe it because for me it happened so quickly because then it was, I had to drive back down to Sunderland the next day, pick up Michael, and then it was driving to Suffolk for my grandparents' funeral. Mm. Um, so I think even the day of my ice mile, I was writing the eulogy for my grandparents. So it was like, I, yeah, I was just relieved it was over so that I could concentrate on other things, really. Yeah. Okay. So I was wondering, like, with the swimming community, well, I was going back to running as well, but it's like, yeah, you've done that race. What's next? And like, yeah. is, is there anything you can go to after doing an extreme ice mile? Is there still? Or I mean, was... there is, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> Were people um, asking you that, though? Was there something? <laughs> what's next what's next I'm like I've been an ice smiler for about a month um but in terms of I mean just the paperwork alone the planning alone mm. of doing an ice smile puts you off ever wanting to do one again the paperwork to get one ratified took longer than the ice smile itself and you had to uh, probably do that multiple times I guess in the lead up as well well you have to like notify notify your country chair for ISA yeah. which is the internet national ice swimming association you have to have all your ecg and like full medical that is within six months you have to do this isn't this um jumping through all the hoops sending photos of your course um there's so many elements to it that if somebody said 
you could do an ice mold tomorrow and I'll compl- I'll do everything else for you then maybe but I think it's it's just something that you're pushing your body to see if it's capable of and I know my body's capable of doing it um after doing an ice mold I think for me it's once I did my ice mile, I kind of took my foot off the pedal. I had an injury. I took an injury on after the ice mile. So I had a shoulder injury for about six months and now I've got my foot injury. So for me, the what's next is kind of getting back to that fitness and making sure I can, I can just do longer in the water. I want to do, I, I want to do more kilometers at lower degrees because my lowest is a kilometer at two. So I want to go further down the chart hopefully um lots of people are like oh well it's the ice sevens now which is another challenge that you can do an ice mile in each continent of the world um but no i a don't have the money for that straight out (laughs) okay we're not crowdfunding (laughs) not even a little bit and the thing is it's like for lock inch which is the the venue i did it in um it was just so special that sometimes it's like why would you try and recreate it? It's that feeling of, well, well, the ice, it, it's this kind of continual repetition of being like, oh, well, can I, can I compare it to that swim or can I compare it to this swim? And you're like, well, actually, no, it's not, you're never going to be able to match that first one. So why bother? Um, so for me, I think it's just going to be training more cold, I just, I just love being in the cold. Just, just, there's something about it. It's that feeling of just, I don't know, you just can't think of anything else and it just quiets my really busy brain. Um, and that's just what I love about it. So I think I just want to get back into that and maybe just get a bit quicker. I mean, 47 minutes is a long time to be in the water for. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's something I'd like to do I don't want to go the complete other way when I because basically when I first started training in 2019 I was chasing after a time I wanted to be under like around 30 minutes um I was I had a personal trainer I had swim coaches um trying to get me as technically efficient in the water as possible whereas then it became a completely mental game two years on and you think ah, I need to get a bit more into the fitness side of things. Let's have a look at the stroke. Because front crawl is just, yeah, a hard one to master. So, yeah, I think I've probably got another 20 years of that, really. That's the next goal. And I suppose one thing, and I'm not really sure how I want to articulate this, because, uh, like, I can imagine there was, like, we're celebrating your ice mile. It's, I mean, there's a film about it. I'm sure you're getting a lot of adoration. But do you think, are we... Are we celebrating the right things? Because I'm just thinking, like going back to that resilience and you were talking about hard things that we don't have a choice and we just have to do it. I mean, you have a choice about an ice mile. You've chosen to do it. And I just think we have so many tougher days, or I do, have tougher days than when I was out running, where it's all hidden and nobody sees what I've had to get through and nobody celebrates that. And yeah, I don't really know what the question is. It's more just yeah. like, was that your toughest day? <laughs> Absolutely not my toughest day. <laughs> I mean, I've had some pretty dark days. And I think it's like, and and you are right. There's also this kind of, I think also why, that's why when I'm low or when I feel like I'm struggling, they're the days that I I will write anyway, because I find that writing is something that helps me process the the things I'm feeling. And usually those, those words then get turned into a social media post, because I think a lot of the time, as you say, we are celebrating all these big achievements and the things and doing all this, but actually a lot of the, a lot of the talks I've done or Q and A's I've done is the reason I do them is to instill that if I didn't get in that first day, then none of this would have happened. So really, the celebration would have been on that first day, that first day that that clicked and went, oh, this is it. And having that, finding that in myself to be able to do that, 
that's the celebration because there's so many people that are that are struggling or don't know how to help themselves or just physically can't get into the water and they'll find they'll find it but you don't know when it'll be it could be in six months time it could be in two years time who knows um but yeah they're the as you say they're the little bits that need to be celebrated because it relates to mental health in general because when you talk about men when we talk about mental health and for me being ptsd with ptsd there's not really a cure it's more you kind of this idea of therapy is this idea that we'll be fixed this idea of being broken and then we're going to be fixed actually we're not we have to manage ourselves along the way and it's those little days of management that don't feel like anything they're the things that need to be celebrated to have that consistency to continually do something to then get a little bit of reward I think that's a lot harder than than going. Oh, I rocked up on one day. I did this really long thing, and it was amazing. I got I got a medal for it or whatever. But when I look back, I don't think that that's the thing I should celebrate. Really, mm, yeah, it's definitely something that I think about a lot. But I'd say I'm not really sure. I guess it's from also when I've done long races, and that's when I get so many congratulations and messages and. Uh, and just it's lovely but you don't get that on the tough days do you when when you're not getting the medals yeah and I just I just had another question which was relating to a social media post you did a few months back I think maybe in February and you talked about your body image then and I just I think the post was just kind of putting it out a little bit in the open that you weren't feeling that comfortable on that day um and, and and I think you weren't comfortable with being called an inspiration as well. And I just yeah. wondered if body image had been an issue for you and whether that reared having a film made about you. Or, yeah, how how is that day to day? Body image. Well, <laughs> is that a whole other podcast? <laughs> it's a whole other podcast. Um, but I think it's it's hard and it's damaging for so many people for so many different reasons. It can be that, you know, you have an unhealthy relationship with eating. It could be that you think you're, that you're too thin, that you're too fat, that, you know, you don't look right in a particular set of jeans. Like it's, you know, there's so many different elements to it. But for me, I don't like my body. And I, I, don't, I don't know whether I ever will, never have, even where I've just always had trouble with it. If I'm in the gym, I'm going to the extremes. If I'm not in the gym, I'm also going to extremes. And it's my way of my body surviving. So when I get congratulated for being a big girl in a swimsuit or for being at the beach at my size or, you know, that, that sort of thing, I take it as a backhanded compliment because for me, my body is a, pro- is a product of trauma. The only reason I eat or the only reason I look like this is because I've had an injury and I can't explain it. So I eat. So they're all of those sorts of things. So when people congratulate people or <laughs> Steph Weatherall, who is one of the members of Everybody Outdoors, she talks about being congratulated going up hills as a big girl. And it's just like, well, why are you congratulating me? There's a guy behind me. There's somebody else in front of me. Like, I don't understand why you're congratulating me. I am just who I am. Can we not just think about I don't know. It's just, but I think we're very visual, we're very visual beings, aren't we? Mm. So we want to look a certain way or be a certain size or weigh a certain weight. So we congratulate people that we aspire to look like or aspire to be. So I know there's no malice behind it and people want to have what they perceive as confidence, but I don't think I'm body positive. I'm not body positive. I'm not body confident. I'm just being because I can't really change it. Um, uh, I read an article, I think it was similarly around the time Rachel was filming me. And it was about how you need to stop thinking about your body as transitional. And that just changed for me because I was constantly like, had clothes in my wardrobe that were too small. And I had, and I was just like trying to lose weight all the time and trying to do this. You think, well, actually, no, my body is how it is I just need to be kinder to myself and hopefully along the way these things will get easier 
Um, but I think I wanted to write that post initially because of A, I was very, I just, yeah, don't like being called an inspiration. <laughs> I just think I feel, I think my my body's self-talk, like me talking to myself, I have very negative self-talk. So when somebody says that to me, I can't really handle it. So it's like, okay, you take that back. Um, so I think there's just that element of trying to come to terms with how I am at every given moment is always going to be a battle for me. And I just wanted to put it out there because so many people just don't want to talk about it because they're like, oh, well, oh, no, but I'll be fat shaming or, oh, God, well, I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be um, promoting diet culture or I'll be doing this. And you think, well, no, actually, we all just need to just be and then everything else will come after hopefully fake it till you make it type of vibe so yeah and I, I I do wonder whether like there is this emphasis that you've got to the aim is to like your body and maybe the aim can be just to be quite neutral about it <laughs> like I feel yeah. like the times when I've been the happiest are the times because I'm not actually thinking about it at all one way or the other it's just it's not really a concern and that's really what I aim for yeah and I think for me, what really, really changed, I think it was in tw- it was during 2020 and there was this whole thing about, you know, people were like gaining weight because we were just inside. We weren't allowed to do anything. And um, a lot of people were like body positivity and doing all this. And I was seeing a lot of it and I was just like, but I'm not body positive. But does that mean I'm wrong? And it was that kind of, oh, uh, uh, and then this kind of just complete unraveling of it. It's such a difficult subject but the thing is to help us kind of get more accustomed to ourselves the more we talk about it the less it will matter hopefully I don't know Mm. and I suppose I've seen like I am really interested in some of the studies that come out about cold water and particularly there seems so much science now about what it's doing to our brain and dopamine levels and just things like that but I feel like it's so hard to quantify the benefits of outdoor cold water swimming because there's so much involved. I think you've already touched on it, like that community, the being in nature, um, the kind of doing something hard <laughs> and then getting over that. And But one thing I do find is that I've got quite a lot of female friends that swim and it's a space where they don't ha- feel so self-conscious because everybody strips off and gets in the water and nobody's really that bothered about what you look like. Um, like was that something that's helped you with your body and also body, I was going to say confidence, but maybe just body image and also kind of those aspects of what you get from cold water swimming. Do you feel all of those? Is it? Are you able to say one more than the other or is it just the whole package that you like? Um, well, it's like, I mean, even just getting into a blue space, it, that, that blue space, green space, that's all, they're all those things that are going to benefit you just, just by being in them, let alone swimming in them. Um, and all those lovely things about dopamine and we're tricking our brain into, well, we're inducing shock response and mm. kind of getting over that shock response and the, the positive things that come from that. And then you've all got the community and that, that even that shared trauma together <laughs> of cold water, that shared ex- sharing experience is yeah. that you have that kind of, you know, the group uh, group therapy, as it were. But that's effectively what it can feel like. It feels like Sunday service sometimes, sometimes down at the lake or down at the beach. Mm-hmm. Everyone's stripping off. And I think, uh, I think it was Gilly who initially said it, my friend Gilly MacArthur, who is like the guru of all things cold water, where we strip off and we shed our layers at the side of a lake and we all get in the same. Mm. And I think that's such a level we leave everything on the side, whether it's, you know, job, whether it's how we feel about ourselves. And I think just bathing in it all together, everybody's completely different. Um, and then everybody's also exactly the same. So I really benefited from getting into water because I used to be so self-conscious in a swimming costume and I still am I still when I have to get into a chlorine prison a swimming pool when I'm in a swimming <laughs> pool oh my goodness uh a sw- I don't know what it is I don't know whether it's the lighting whether it's just being in a swimming pool I just feel judged whereas at the side of an open body of water I'm just like 
Oh, yeah, fine. Have I had a bikini wax recently? No. Do I care? No. Am I going to get in anyway? Yes. And then it's like, it's a whole different playing field. And I think it's just helped. It's helped so much with how I am. I'm less, I'm less worried what other people think. I'm kind of, but at the same time you say that and putting me in a formal scenario, oh, when I have to like, put a dress on and all that sort of stuff completely out of my comfort zone still. Oh, but really? Completely. It's I've like, seen you do public speaking and I loved it and you looked so at ease and <laughs> was that or was it all a fake or was that just because you could wear your jeans? <laughs> I, yeah well the thing is it's like I don't usually wear je- I'm literally just fleece joggers go to the side go to the sea come back um so it always just feels a bit different when I'm like, oh, I've got a wash today. I've got to put this on. I've got to do this. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm still in the fake it till you make it part. But I think also it's that realisation that I think everybody struggles at some point. Everyone's has the highs and lows and just have to kind of let it be rather than try and change it and just kind of go, okay, yeah, I'm going to have bad days, but I also have good days. Oh, that seems like the essence of resilience and what a fantastic place to leave it on. Um, thank you so much. I was going to ask you all about your injury and how you cope with that, but I don't want to bring us down. That will be another day. I'm going to leave it on that really hopeful post that, yeah, if we're in dark days, it can get better. Um, thank you so much, Becca. Uh, I've loved talking to you and I love watching the film and just, yeah, thank you for all that you do and all that you put out on social media as well. Oh, thanks very much. That's been lovely chatting to you as well, Jen. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.